next door brother Three weekend rows of town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies We had conference, which was uh, amazing, eh? And uh, I know I've heard so many great stories of, of people, uh, you know, just, just what God did in their lives over the last uh, few days and uh, over the last week after conference and so many great stories. And so I, 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 I love hearing the stories. And so if you've got some stories, share them with me. Um, and, uh, but I, I really felt that, uh, that there was like a, a seed planted uh, in our lives and not just a seed uh, for us as individuals, although I believe that, but, but also a seed planted for us as a church. And, and something, something was planted, something that, that, is, that we need to steward, and something that we are actually all responsible for. Uh, it's not something that just Ali and I are responsible for, but something that has been planted uh, in our hearts for our valley that we are all responsible to steward um, and to carry and that kind of thing. Have I done something wrong? Is that better? Then I won't walk out of the camera. Okay. All right. Uh, so I really feel that, yeah, so this morning I want to speak a little bit about that, about uh, what it would look like to carry a seed, what does that actually mean. Um, and for me in particular, the thing that I, I particularly felt was a seed that was planted was around the area of healing. Um, and I believe that's something that we need to be continually pursuing, continually going after. And so at the end this morning, we're going to pray uh, for people that are, that are unwell. Um, and we're going to continue to do that um, until we see breakthrough in that area. I mean, um, in Matthew 13, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man planted in his field. And although it is the smallest of seeds, yet it grows into the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And, and so the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. And so Jesus is using this analogy of a seed, something that is planted in soil, something that is, that is designed to grow, something that is designed, uh, in, in this instance, he's talking about a plant or a tree uh, that actually gives shade, something that becomes significant, something that, that bears fruit, something that has life. And, and so Jesus is using this analogy of a seed. And, and uh, we can look at, at the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus arrived, he, he brought the kingdom of heaven. And, and in a very real way, it was like a seed. When he first came, it was like a seed planted. And, and 2,000 years later, that seed has spread right across the world. And, and so we are, we are still living in the benefits of a seed of the kingdom of heaven that is expanding, extending right across the world. But there's also this, this sense that, that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed planted in your heart. And a seed that is growing, that is expanding, and, and as it is growing and expanding, we are becoming more and more like him. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. It's like a seed. Now, when I, uh, when I first moved to Upper Hutt, Ali and I were uh, asked to come and, and be the, the pastors uh, here in Upper Hutt. And um, when, oh, so we were youth pastors before that. Uh, for about seven years, or I was, and Ali joined me about a, a year before we moved. Um, but when we moved here, I, I sat down in my office on the first day, and I thought, oh dear, I, I'm a pastor. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing. 
and so I'd been a youth pastor, and so I knew what to do with young people. I had no idea what to do with adults. And, um, and I also was kind of like, well, what, what is... What is the church even? Because I'd sort of just been focused on on seeing young people saved and, and young people uh, becoming the, the you know who, who they were called to be, and, and so I started to think about what is the church. So I did a little bit of a study uh, just for myself. What is the church? And I discovered that Jesus only talked about the church twice, and one of those times he said that he'd build it. And so I thought, well, what am I here to do? Um, and I discovered that Jesus constantly talked about the kingdom that actually he, he was more interested in, in how the kingdom of heaven would advance on the earth um, than building churches. And so that was a little bit of a shock to me, uh, because now I'm the pastor of a church. What I discovered is that the church is the vehicle for the kingdom of heaven. The church is the vehicle for the kingdom of heaven. And that's why I really love the message that, that uh, Peter brought uh, at conference, that, that the church is not a means to itself, but it is a means to the coming of the kingdom. And so we don't exist for ourselves. We exist to see the, the kingdom of heaven come into the earth, to see a seed grow and expand and extend throughout the earth. And so our vision statement here at Awaken is this. It's seeing the Hutt Valley saturated in the love and hope of Jesus, one transformed life at a time. So seeing the Hutt Valley saturated in the love and hope of Jesus, one transformed life at a time. And, and there's four key words that we have in our vision statement. The first one is saturate. The second one is love. Third is hope. And the fourth one is Jesus. And the word saturate means to permeate, to pervade, and to satisfy fully. In Ephesians 1 verse 23, it says this, The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he saturates everything with his presence. See, this word peripheral, it means that we are not external. It means that we are meant to be in the world, influencing the world. That we are not influenced by the world, but that we are the influences of the world. That we are not influenced by culture, but we are culture carriers, the culture of the kingdom. We bring the culture of the kingdom and influence the world for the better. And he says that, that the church, so you and I, the church, are, are how he speaks. So he speaks his word into the earth through you and me. He, it's how he acts. This is how, how he demonstrates his goodness and his kindness to the world is through you and me. That's how he acts. And by which he saturates everything with his presence. So this other word is, is hope. As believers, we are dealers in hope. Who believes that? That we are dealers in hope. When we look at our world around us that is, that is lost and broken, and without hope, we are dealers in hope. We, we are the ones who carry the love and hope of Jesus. We are dealers in hope. In Romans 4, Paul was talking about Abraham, and he said this, Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there was no reason for hope, and we look around at our world around us, and we might look and think there is no hope for the world, but believers are the ones who, against all hope, still have hope. That we are dealers in hope, we are carriers of hope. See, I, I believe this, that whoever has the most hope in the room has the most influence. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. Why? Because courage and hope is contagious. People don't want to follow titles. They don't want to follow positions. They follow courage. 
They follow ones who will say, against all hope, we still hope. See, hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Even in the inevitable moments when it all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live. And in agonizing desperation, they cry for the bread of hope. Well, who is the bread of hope? Jesus. Well, there is something that, is, uh, that the world is crying out for. It's crying out for hope. It's desperate for love. Well, and we are the carriers of those things. Love, the, the next word there is love. Love looks like something. Love is not just an action. It is an action, but it's not just an action. It's actually a reaction. It's a reaction to his love. We, we can only love because he first loved us. I think the best description for love in the Bible was found in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and this is the passage we, we always use at weddings, eh? In the hope that our partner will hopefully fulfill all of these expectations of love. But here's the truth is that this is a description of God's love towards us. And the only possible way that we could ever hope to love people like God loves us if we receive his love first. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres perseveres. Love never fails. And this is a description about the love that God has for you. This is not a description about hopefully your spouse will fulfill this. This is, this is a description about how God loves you. See, without love, Paul was saying our work is worthless. Without love, we are just a clinging symbol. The last one there in our vision statement that is a key word is the word or the name Jesus, because he is the source of it all. See, that kingdom seed that's on the inside of you and on the inside of me is the redemptive life of Jesus. We receive love, we become love, we release love. We have four sort of core beliefs here at Awaken, and it's, and it's these four things. That Jesus paid the price in full. That we are spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered. That God is always good. And that the church is plan A and there is no plan B. Now, I want to talk about this idea this morning as the church is plan A and there is no plan B. What would that look like? What would that actually look like? Peter, last week, he asked us the question if. If the kingdom of heaven came, what would it look like? If the kingdom of heaven came, what would it look like? 
And he gave us this description of the kingdom and, and what God is doing uh, in the kingdom is that he is restoring all things back to their original identity and purpose. So what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven came? Things would start to be restored back to their original identity and purpose. And there's been a seed planted in you. A seed that is restoring you back to your original identity and purpose. And, you know, when we think about that question, what would we do? What would it look like if the kingdom of heaven come? We've also then got to realize that the kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven. I think the primary problem is, is that we're looking for it in all these different places. And we, we forget to look in the last place that we ever, you know, like the kingdom of heaven is in us. It's the last place we ever looked. And it's the seed. It's a seed. There's a seed that's been planted in you. The kingdom of heaven is in you. See, the kingdom is always an inside-out perspective. It's God wanting to do something in your life so that you will saturate out, so that, so that your life would pervade, so that your life would permeate something of the kingdom of heaven. He, he's planted a seed in you, and he, he's wanting to do something in you first. It's always an inside-out Perspective. What, what does God want to do in the world? Well, he wants to do it through the church. So first he must do it in the church. Uh, you know, otherwise, if, if we have not become love, if we're not walking in love with one another, we can go out and do some good works. But Paul says it's just like a clanging symbol. You know, what, why would we do good works so that we can tick some boxes? No, no, God wants to do something in us so that he can work through us. See, the kingdom is always an inside-out perspective. It's, it's opposite to the way we think. It's opposite to the way that we think. It's, it's like the Hudson Hornet, isn't it, in the movie Cars? You've got to turn left to go right. You know, it's when Lightning McQueen goes, well, this just seems stupid. This is opposite world. Yep, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. It's opposite world. See, as sons and daughters of God, we have been adopted into his family. We've been adopted as, into his family. And, and that means four things take place in our lives when we're adopted into the family of God. It means that we have a new family, we have a new home, we have a new name, and we have new responsibilities. And, and these four things actually answer the cry of every human heart. Because the cry of every human heart is, is this, do I belong? Am I safe and secure? What authority do I have and am I significant? Now, I want to talk about this idea of being significant briefly. Because that's actually talking about our responsibility as sons and daughters of God. That, that we actually have new responsibilities. I am no longer responsible for being successful. I'm actually responsible for being significant. See, we've been pulled out of the kingdom of darkness, which is about, about me, which is about self, which is about success. And we've been pulled into the kingdom of light, which is not about self, but about others, which is about being significant. See, the difference between success and significance is that success is when I want to add value to myself. Significance is when I want to add value to others. So am I significant? 
See, we are now partners. We have new responsibilities. We are now partners in his business. We are now about the Father's will. We are now ambassadors of the redeeming rule and reign of the King Jesus. We are partnering with what God is up to in the earth. So what's God up to? What's he up to? He's restoring all things back to their original identity and purpose. And he's starting with you. So how does he do that in us and how does he do that in the church? Well, Peter talked about three things that that he does that through. He talked about our love for one another, our oneness, and how we serve one another. Uh, I, I really believe that these three things, how we love one another, our oneness together, and how we serve one another, these are actually what it truly means to be human. What it truly means to be human is that we have love for one another. What it truly means to be human is that we have oneness with one another. What it truly means to be human is that we live not for ourselves but for others. This is what it truly means to be human. This is the life that Jesus demonstrated for us. See, listen to this. This is really important. When you look through the story of the Bible you will see that Israel was a prototype of what it looked like to live under the rule and reign of a good God. The whole role of Israel was that God would bless them so that they would bless others and invite everyone to come and be a part of what God is doing in the the earth through Israel. That's the purpose and point of Israel. Israel was chosen for that purpose. just like the church is chosen for that purpose. See, we have been chosen, the church has been chosen, not so that we will get to heaven one day when we die, but so that we would show what it looks like in the earth to live as people who live under the redeeming rule and reign of Jesus. That's our purpose. So the church is supposed to be be a prototype of what it looks like when God's people truly live under the rule and reign of a perfectly loving and just king. What it means to be fully human again. See, Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. He came and he demonstrated what it looked like to be fully human. To love God perfectly and to love people. And then through his death and resurrection and our union with him, his life has now become our life. So if his life has now become our life, Listen to this. His life has become our life, which means what's true of Jesus is now true of you. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. So we no longer do, we have become. We we no longer do justice, we have become justice. We no longer do love, we have become love. We no longer do joy, we have become joy. We no longer do peace, we have become peace. We no longer do righteousness, we have become righteousness. We no longer do holiness, we have become holy. Not through our effort, but through his. That's the beauty of it. So whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you. And and it may just be a seed right now. It may be just a seed in your heart right now that, that, 
What Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross has now become your life. And it may be just a seed. But here's the point about a seed is it doesn't have to try and be a seed. It doesn't even have to try and be what it's meant to be. All its responsibilities are is to receive the nourishment for it to become what it's designed to be. Its only responsibility is to receive what it needs to become a plant or become a tree. It it receives the sun and it receives the water. It receives what it needs. See, whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you, but maybe you've been looking for it in all the wrong places. Maybe you've been looking for it in success. Maybe you've been looking for it in relationships. Maybe you've been looking for it and comparing yourself to other people. See, what's true of Jesus is now true of you. And it's inside you. Maybe it was in the last place you thought to look. Inside you. I I think um, a, a Christian trying to do... A Christian trying to do to achieve something is like someone who's lost their sunglasses but they're on their head. Do you know what I mean? Like we can walk around looking for success and looking for significance and looking for uh, approval and looking for acceptance. But we're looking in all the wrong places and God's looking at us going, it's in you. It's in you, and we're walking around like with sunglasses on our head trying to look for our sunglasses. But it's in you. The kingdom of heaven is in you. Listen, someone needs to catch this today. You, You cannot do what has already been done. Your only responsibility is to receive and become. All right, you you cannot do what has already been done. Your only responsibility is to receive so that you can become. See, Jesus, he, he, he hung on the cross. He, he took all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our sin upon himself, and, and he took it to the cross. He, he killed it. And, and then three days later, he, he rose again. And, and the Bible says that, that when it was all done, he, he sat down at the right hand of God. That he went and sat at the right hand of the Father and uh, he, he didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because it was done. He was finished. That there was no more that he could do for you. He did it all for you already. It, it is done. You, you cannot add to your salvation. You cannot, you cannot add to what Jesus did on the cross and make it a little bit better. You, you just can't. In fact, that's the whole point of what, what Paul was addressing in the book of Galatians because that these people in, in Galatia have become Christians, become believers, and, and now people are saying, hey, you need to do this as well. You need to do something in your own effort to, to achieve this. And, and, and Paul writes them and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? you? You've been fooled into thinking that you could add to the cross, that you could add to the resurrection, that you could add to what Jesus has done. You, you can't add to it. There is nothing you can do. Just receive. 
just receive. So when we're looking in all the different places to try and find what has already taken place on the inside of us, that's when we start to eat from the wrong tree. We start to eat from the tree of judgment rather than the tree of life. And I love that thought that Peter gave us, that judgment scatters but love gathers. Judgment scatters but love gathers. When he said that, I started to think about... um, uh, one of C.S. Lewis's books called The Great Divorce. And uh, in The Great Divorce is, is, I mean, C.S. Lewis is this brilliant writer. I mean, and he, he had a great way of using stories to give descriptions to things. And um, he was trying to, to give us some images and some descriptions about about what, what hell is like, what it would be like to... You know, what is the end point of, of living in a life of judgment against one another? And his whole point is this, is that, that it seems that the devil's plan is that we would continually dehumanize one another to the point that we no longer either see other people as, as human, as, as people of value and people of worth and, and potentially even see ourselves in that way and and he describes it like this. He says, on, on, the, on the one hand, hell is depicted as the endless great town with millions and millions of houses where everybody is constantly moving further and further away from each other because they can't stand each other. They are nasty people. They don't like each other and they're consumed with self. And when, when Peter said that, that quote, that judgment scatters but love gathers, I started to think about that and, and think about that even in, our, in the world right now that, that we are seeing people getting more and more spread out. It seems like we, we're, we're scattering away from each other rather than gathering. And I, I think this is the beauty of the church is that we have this opportunity to show the world what it looks like to, to love one another in such a way that we actually want to be together that we actually want to gather together, that we actually don't want to scatter, that we don't actually want to push one another away, but we actually want to draw one another in. But it's actually judgment. It's actually eating from the tree of judgment that actually causes us to scatter. We even scatter ourselves when we judge ourselves, but there's something about love that attracts, that, that brings people together. I have this, um, I don't know what it is, a, I like listening to uh, podcasts a lot, um, but I like listening to really different podcasts, and, and sometimes, Ali, our podcast thing, we share the same iTunes, and so my podcasts come up on hers, and she's like, why are you listening to this? But anyway, um, so I like listening to some of the true crime podcasts. Anyone else listen to some of that stuff? few people. Good. I'm not the only one in the room. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm fascinated um, by human nature and, and how people could go to the lengths that they can to, uh, to dehumanize someone. 
and, and to, to treat people with so much little worth that they actually feel they can take, take a life. And um, I, I was listening to one recently, and it was about, um, about a cult, and, and this is pretty full on, but I just wanted to share this with you because it, it makes sense in the context. But it was a, a satanic cult that um, participated in human sacrifice. And it was pretty gruesome and pretty horrible. I wouldn't recommend anyone um, listen to it unless you could have, you know, not for the faint of heart. Um, but one of these men that were involved in this horrific uh, stuff, um, he was heard saying this after doing something pretty horrific. He, he was heard saying this, I, I have no soul. I am no longer human. And when I heard that, I just, I could just see that this is, this is the ultimate plan of the enemy, is that we could get humanity to the point where we no longer see ourselves as human, no, no longer see ourselves as divine image bearers of God. And unfortunately, there are people in the world who are, who are at that extreme that they literally no longer see themselves as human. And if they no longer see themselves as human, then you can bet your bottom dollar they no longer see others as human. And they, they see that they have the right to take a life, to, to treat people with uh, less than what they're worth. But church, this is our opportunity to shine. Uh, this is our opportunity to, to live opposite to that. To, to be people that will bring the kingdom of heaven into the world, that we would love people that no one else wants to love, that we would, we would treat people with worth and with honor and with value in, in such a way that, that people would look at us and go, man, we don't really know, we're a bit skeptical about what you believe, but we are envious of the way you love. Come on, there's something about that that is tangible, that, and that is the kingdom of heaven at work. I, I'm convinced that we won't convince people in the kingdom of heaven. We will love people into the kingdom of heaven. The church is plan A and there is no plan B. Church is plan A. There is no plan B. See, it starts inside the church. And when we live from love and from oneness and serving one another, we will start to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. I just want to pick up on one last thought and then we're going to um, watch a video um, uh, just as we share communion together. Well, I want to pick up on this thought. So we've got three things that, that we would demonstrate the kingdom of heaven through our love for one another, through our oneness, and through serving one another. I think the important thing to remember is this, is that we don't, we don't strive for those things, we live from those things. See, our oneness, our, our unity precedes us in Christ. Our unity comes from what he did, not from us striving to be more like one another. Our unity precedes us in Christ. He did it. He united us together on the cross. But what does it mean to serve one another? I was thinking about it this week, that, that we all have gifts, we all have abilities, we all have talents. And I believe that uh, 
that we have those things to bear fruit. And the Bible says that we are known by two things. We're known by love and we're known by fruit. But I believe that, that we should be known by love in the church and that we should be known by fruit. I think our expression of fruit is probably more to do with what we do outside of the church, what we do in our workplaces, what we do in our schools, what we do wherever we are, you know, bringing the kingdom of heaven, bringing a prophetic word, bringing a word of knowledge, bringing healing into someone's life. Um, but inside the church, uh, the, there's this expression of love um, and, and serving one another. And so I want to give you an example. Let's imagine for a minute. I've got a ladder over here. So let's imagine for a moment. There we go. Oh, watch out. Let's imagine for a moment this is my gift. And... I've come to church and I want to use my gift and I want to express my gift and I want everybody else to see my gift and I want everyone to notice my gift and here's my gift. Now imagine if we all came in with our gifts sticking out like this, wanting to find our significance and our success and our worth and our value in our gifts in our talents, by the things that God has gifted us actually to serve others with. Imagine if we all walked around with things like this. See, I believe that, you know, if we take this outside, of, imagine us all in this room with these. What a disaster. What absolute chaos it would be. But imagine if we take these things out there. Uh, who knows, we might be able to use our gift to climb a tree and get a cat down or something. You know, like, like we might be able to use our gift for something, for something that, that uh, actually demonstrates the kingdom of heaven. I'm not saying that we shouldn't use our gifts in church, but this is what I believe our gifts should look like in church. That we... That we actually lay our gifts down. And, and that they're actually used to serve one another, and to love one another, and to honor one another, not for our significance, not for our worth, not for our value. I, I um, was listening to um, uh, a pastor from a church up in Auckland. He was, he was talking about a, a businessman that he has in his church, a very, very successful businessman, a very well-known person in the community. And um, he, he's someone that could probably walk in and everyone would notice what's on him. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone would know him. He's a successful person, someone who, you know, like, if he was carrying a ladder, it would, like, stretch the whole room kind of thing, you know, like. But he was talking about this guy and saying he's the most humble person. And for him, he comes in and he lays his gift down. He... He doesn't want to be known as the successful businessman that everyone knows. No, he, he serves in the car park. He, he lays his gift down and says, no, I'm just here to, to love. I'm just here to serve my family. I, I wonder what it would look like if we could think that way, if we could live that way, that we wouldn't be trying to find our success and our significance in the church, but maybe just laying our gifts down for one another.
I think the father demonstrated that. Now, who knows that our significance is not found in what we do, but our significance is found in who we reveal. Our significance is found in who we reveal. And, and I wonder if we could look at how the Father did it. Maybe we could reveal him a little bit differently. See, the Father, he took the greatest gift, his son, and he, he laid him at our feet. In the most humblest way. I mean, think about it. Of all the ways that God could have turned up in the world, he came as a baby. And he hung on a cross. I mean, he could have come in with fanfare and, you know, like, this is God. This is the creator of all things. But no, he he chose to humble himself and, and just... Lay at our feet. And now, as sons and daughters of him, our responsibility is to reveal him. And we should do it the way that he did. Whoops, guitar. Whole time I've been thinking, don't stand on the guitar, don't stand on the guitar. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe that we can ever learn to carry our gifts well until we are willing to lay them down in service for one another. I think when we've learned to lay down our gifts in service for one another, we will carry them well out there. We'll carry them with humility. We'll carry them with grace. We'll carry them with love. And they'll bear much fruit. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. There's been a seed planted in each of you. Steward it well. Let the Spirit of God rain on it. Let the sun shine on it. Let's carry our gifts well. We're going to um, just take a moment now to just watch a video. I just wanted to watch... Um, one of the Bible Project videos on the kingdom um, of God. And um, I, I just want us to reflect, just watch the video. Um, the helpers are just going to pass out communion now um, before we watch it. And um, just take a moment to, to just reflect and, and think, about, um, think about Jesus. You know, we, we take communion to remember him, to remember what he did, that, that he would so humbly come and and give his life for us. And so let's watch this and uh, and then we'll we'll close. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. 
there's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom that needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love.
Thanks for watching this channel. We do this because we believe the Bible is one unified narrative. All right. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on our behalf. We thank you that your kingdom is here. We thank you that even though it may just be a seed and Father, we just choose to steward that seed well. Father, we thank you for what you are doing uh, in this church. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We thank you for the plans and the purpose that you have for us in the Hutt Valley. We thank you that you have called us to be carriers of hope, to be demonstrators of love, to saturate our valley in your presence and in, in your goodness. We just thank you, Lord. Mm. Amen.